before you went down the Vicodin Road, you had five friends that died from heroin? Yeah, heroin. And that was still didn't deter you. You'd be like, nope, I'm going down this road. That didn't stop me, man. That didn't stop me at all. Wow. My mind frame at the time was they all, they injected it, right? I'm just smoking it. You can't OD from smoking it. I got off work that night. I was just feeling great, so I had him go get more. Man, that intro always gets me excited, man. It's just never gets old. Daniel, how are you doing, buddy? Man, I am outstanding. Uh, just pleasure to be here, man. Pleasure to be part of the growth. And yeah. just honored, you know, honored that that uh, you guys decided to reach out and uh, decided to have me on. So it's a pleasure, Absol man. Absolutely, man. You know, we really appreciate everything that you've done for us, too. You know, uh, being in the comments, checking us out, man. We really do appreciate that. You know, yes, it's, uh, you know, you know how it is. It's, uh, going out here and living the, living the life and getting these stories out, man, is what our, our game is. And we really want to get out there and help people. And, yep. uh, you're, you're helping us in a big way, man. And we want to thank you, you know, for helping us as well. Awesome, man. My pleasure. I'm, I'm ready to knock some socks off, man. Let's do it, man. How do you start your morning off, man? You drink <laughs> coffee or what? <clears throat> I I should be drinking more coffee. I generally uh, I wake up at two thirty, and uh, I'm currently on methadone, and and that is due to my long use of opiate addiction. So I wake up at two thirty. I pop an energy drink, a Monster. Um, hopefully, I'll be sponsored by them one day. But um, I'm actually looking forward to um, trying some more coffee. Uh, you know, as far as like the espresso. Um, it's definitely healthier than, than what I'm doing right now, but the monster, um, I just like the flavor really. So why do you wake up at two 30 in the morning? Um, I, I, I like waking up early just because it's, it's still dark. It's peaceful. Um, I let my dogs out and then come back and they usually go to sleep. So I own a, uh, I own my own business. I resell clothing on eBay. So that allows me time to get my mind right and then just start immediately on on um, on the business side of oh. things. And, and it, it's just, I think it's the overall mood of 2.30, 3 o'clock, 3.30. It's just real peaceful to me. Yeah, dude, I get it, man. I like waking up early a little bit before the sun rises, going out there, drinking coffee and just yeah. chilling out and kind of like, that's my zen for the day. You know, that's why I just kind of, mm, okay, I'm here, you know? Yeah. But- you know, it's always good to kind of start that off, man, and kind of just get that zen. But you know what? You always didn't have zen in your life, man. And you didn't always wake up at 2.30. You know, you were a star athlete, man. You're a wrestler, a football player, you know, and you had some hard things happen in your life. And part of that yeah. uh, was when your parents got divorced, right? Is that when your, uh, your journey kind of really began? Yeah, um, they... <clears throat> They started separating a little before that, then uh, come 2005, that's when the divorce happened. I was still living at their house. Um, prior to that, um, I've had some um, some substance abuse, but once that happened, I took my first Vicodin and that lifted me straight to the moon. I was sad, you know, I'm an only child. 
and and that divorce really hit me like i knew i had to brace my mind and just brace myself for the rest of my life just being weird awkward having two birthdays two christmases i didn't like that um i still don't like that but it's still i'm used to it by now right but at that time it, it definitely threw me off my game i like thinking of myself as like a strong-minded person always happy always chipper but that just floored me man and and um well you went to high school yeah. right i mean you went you grew up with both of your parents and yeah that's what you knew and it wasn't until later in high school is when they got divorced right yeah yeah so um let's see um so i was 25 and they yeah it was definitely well after high school so oh, it was, yeah it was well after high school. school so yeah, your was whole life they were married happy yeah. couple you know, yeah, all, all the way and, up until I was 25. And, you know, wow. It just uh, threw me off. So you started kind of venturing down this path a little bit earlier before they even got divorced, but that's kind of what really kind of derailed. Yeah. Derailed you. Yeah. Them getting divorced. So what happened when you were uh, in, in high school or when you turned 18? Yeah, so when I turned 18, um, I graduated high school. I was a wrestler, um, played baseball my whole life, and then started wrestling my sophomore year. Did that to my senior year. Um, things didn't work out when I tried to wrestle for college. Um, I tried to wrestle for the community college out here, but I was too big for the weight class. Um, in wrestling, a lot of the guys in higher weight classes, they, they draw. That way they have an advantage. So they're lean and just beasts, right? So if I were to stay at that weight class, 130 pounds, I would have got mopped by guys who were cut down from like 150, 160. So my option at that time was to drop from 130 down to 117. And I was lean, man, like just lean. And if I had to, I, I could have made the weight cut, but I would have lost a lot of muscle and I just wouldn't have felt strong. I wouldn't have felt confident. So knowing that in the back of my mind, you know, I was just, I felt defeated, man. Like as soon as I started wrestling, um, it just, just the camaraderie and all that. It, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. Um, and so I had to take wrestling out of the picture. And then I was hanging out with some guys on the wrestling team. And one day uh, they just, somebody had some weed, right? So I decided to try that. and. I start smoking weed pretty heavily and that started causing some trouble, um, some issues around the house. I'd come home, you know, high, try to hide it. And that caused some issue for, for the family. Um, and then once I turned 21, you know, hitting the bars, that's when I, I, that's when I started. Um, I had friends in the music scenes. So that's when, you know, I started just really, really partying, but, so I got to experience a lot of different um, types of substances around that time. But once the opiates got into my system, all of that stopped, including alcohol. Well, what did you, so, I mean, you, you go from trying to hide it from your parents to smoking weed, which, you know, kids, if you're out there listening, you're not hiding nothing from us. You know, we could smell it a mile away. You know, even your vape pens that smell like Fruit Loops, all that good stuff. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, come on. Come on, you're not fooling anybody, you know, but your, your scene kind of started with marijuana, but you started hitting a rave scene 
and you started taking what kind of drugs did you start experiment experimenting with that yeah i was dating uh i was dating a girl met this girl at age i was 19 and she lived in a, a party uh i'm sorry she lived in a uh apartment complex and there was just nothing but university people parties you know starting on thursdays all the way up until sunday monday so um i had some friends that were in the music scene and we had like we we just met so many different types of people um at those types of parties you know the um after the bars would close we try and round up the girls um meet up at someone's house and just kept the party going um but yeah the rave scene man um i was definitely doing some ecstasy then um and just let everybody know i'm not here to glorify it i'm just here to share my experience um of course you have fun right but none of that lasts none of that is worth it man none of that is worth it do not recommend it but with ecstasy did you have you, uh, you know, I've heard stories about people who've used ecstasy and then boom, one time they just get killed over because they got some bathtub ecstasy. Have you ever experienced anything like that or seen anything like that? Like the, the bath salts, something like that? Well, not bath salts, but you know, ecstasy, it, you're not, it's not like marijuana. It's not growing on a plant, right? It's man-made no. product. Yeah. And you 100%. never really know what's in it. Correct. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I knew somebody in high school that took it and he only did it first time and it killed him. Damn. So, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, or seen anything like that, or seen people OD on ecstasy. Yeah, I've had um, five friends die from um, from heroin, and that didn't stop me, man. That didn't stop me at all. I got offered it. You know, at the time I wasn't doing pills, any opiates. I got offered it. I was like, no, no way, man. You know, it just it just sounded gross. It sounded like something I shouldn't do, and that was something I, I didn't do. But one day at work, uh, I was working at a hotel, and that's that's uh, when I tried my first Vicodin, man. And, Before um, you went down the Vicodin road, you had five friends that died from heroin? Yeah, heroin. Heroin. Wow. OD. By the time I was 25. And that was still didn't deter you. You'd be like, nope, I'm going down this road. It, Here I it go. It didn't. My mind frame at the time was they all, they injected it, right? Um, and my mind frame was, okay, I'm just smoking it. You can't OD from smoking it. The only way you could really um, die from that, um, like after you smoke is like if you black out or, or something like that. But you can't, as far as I know, and and you can't die from from just smoking it now the fentanyl's out there that's a whole different beast i've never tried that but but mind my mind frame at the time that that kind of gave me that pass like okay you know i gotta try this and i'm doing it the safe way <laughs> yeah so i'm not I doing thought, it that man. way my friends are dying you know yeah you know, injecting it i'm smoking it and i can't die from it yeah you know, which right. i don't know if that's true either you know so if somebody yeah. out there that knows if you can you know, hit us up, put us, you know, comment. Hey, I would like to know. Um, yeah. So you, so you started, so you were smoking heroin at this time. Mm -hmm. You were in the rave scene doing ecstasy and everything else that goes with it. I imagine, you know, marijuana, Coke, you know, anything that somebody puts in front of you, you're probably going to take, right? Yep. You know, cause it's a rave scene. That's what people do in the raves. Yeah. But then you were working at a hotel and that's when you got your first opiate. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, I got, uh, 
put on opiates when I was 25. Did the pills for, for two years. Tried heroin my first time at age 27. And and I could go into that story if you like, as absolutely. far as how I got put on. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, it, yeah, so I guess before I, I took the, the Vicodin, um, I was super depressed at work. Wasn't myself. Um, I was a front desk supervisor for, for a hotel and, and you got to be personal. You got to put on a presentation for people. So my maintenance guy at the hotel, he, he noticed I wasn't myself. Um, so like, here, try this, man. And I really didn't ask too many questions. You know, I, I, I didn't think much of it. So I tried it about half hour, 45 minutes later, man, I started feeling good you know warm and fuzzy inside um and before i got off work that night i was just feeling great so i had him go get more i was like here man just let me know how much it is i don't care i just need more of this because i'm able to perform at work and and do my job you know just get through the shift successfully so that went on for two years one day um i was at uh, a friend of mine's house you know an acquaintance and i was waiting on a pill guy to come i was in withdrawal i was dope sick not feeling good at all and as soon as i walked in i seen him in his room on his bed smoking something on foil uh long story short it turns out to be uh black tar heroin um he knew i was dope sick um so i was just drilling these questions in him like what the heck are you doing man so the more questions I asked, the more feedback I got, the more um, answers I got. Ultimately asked him, if I try what you're doing, will that make me feel better? Um, and ultimately he said, yes. So I try that. Immediately I got well. And when people say they get well, they that means they're not dope sick anymore. And at that point, I was just using... I was just using every day just to feel well, just to feel normal. You know, I really what didn't is, get high anymore. What is dope sick, man? Like, like, run me through what that feels like. Yeah. So after a while, once once your body becomes physically dependent on on opiates, you uh, start experiencing symptoms of withdrawal. So for me, uh, you get the chills. You wake up super uneasy. Um, you start. You get nauseous so you'd start gagging out of nowhere eventually start throwing up this yellow stuff like stomach acid just is disgusting man um and start sneezing and just so many side effects man it's, some people um some people um would say it's like similar to the flu like the the symptoms right of being dope sick but no, i'd rather have the flu like a motherfucker. So you're going through this dope sickness, man, and you're feeling all these symptoms like the flu, you know, but you know the bug isn't going to end. And how, if you if you don't feed that sickness, how long does this, you know, this dope sickness go for, this withdrawal? Yeah, I'd say um, it peaks out like day two, day three, and then starts getting a little bit easier. Um, it, sometimes the the detox the withdrawals for me lasted up to a week and just i couldn't go to you can't go to work you can't leave the house the only thing that could touch what you're feeling is more dope more heroin and 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 if you're holding a job if you have family if you have kids 
I have, I've always had dogs and it got to the point I was so desperate, you know, it's all survival at that point, but ultimately I'd be losing my paycheck, not losing my paychecks, but going through money like super quick. And it got to the point where I'd have $20 or buy my dog a bag of food. And of course I got high because that was the main priority. You know, I have no brothers, no sisters. My dogs are my everything, but my addiction to the opiates, man, that became the main priority because without that, I couldn't function, couldn't function at all. And I was willing to set aside any and all consequences and deal with them later. How much was this opiate addiction costing you um, a day or a week? I'd so, um, a day, like up to 60 to 120 bucks a day. So my paychecks were, yeah. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> my paychecks were, were gone like within a week. Then how did you, so how'd you afford, you know, this habit then? I mean, your paycheck's gone in a week. I'm sure yep. you get paid what, twice a month or once a month? Uh, bi-weekly. So bi twice a month. Yeah. yeah. So gone. So obviously you ran out quite often. And so how'd you get yep. the habit? Man, so when you're at the front desk, um, at this at my hotel specifically, we had two cash drawers. So it got to the point where I was <laughs> taking the money from the front desk. Also, being the supervisor for the hotel, I had access to a safe behind the front desk just in case I needed to make change. But I cleaned out that safe. Cleaned it out. So each time I would get paid, I would make sure uh, to reimburse, you know, reimburse what I, I took from the safe, just in case they did like surprise uh, inspections or whatever. So, I, yeah, I, I, it was all survival, like I said. So you find a way. Once you're that desperate, you find a way. Just for example, if people have no idea what I'm talking about, say, for example, you are hungry, you're starving. The only thing that could touch, the only thing that could take care of that, the only thing that could remedy your hunger is food. That was my food. Crazy. It's insane. That, that is crazy. That, I mean, yeah. you, you went from, you know, college to, you know, kind of just a party scene, you know, having fun like normal. You know, people usually kind of go through the little scene like that. Uh, but now you're full-fledged addicted. And not only addicted, but now you're stealing from the business that you're working at. You know, how did, yeah. how long did that go on for? Oh man. Um, I was there probably for about three, three and a half years. And then, um, I, uh, helped my friend open a sushi restaurant. So I worked there probably for about a year, year and a half. And, um, that was my best friend at the time. So he was helping his friend open the sushi restaurant. They needed an extra sushi chef. So he bought me a sushi knife, real nice, expensive knife. And he, he trained me, you know, um, did a lot of training with me. And I eventually end up messing that job off uh, due to my addiction, <laughs> all for 20 bucks. I sold this waitress's tips. They were hanging out her purse. And it was like mid-shift, like on a Thursday or something. The sushi bar was packed. And so throughout the evening um like on one of our breaks i go in the back um and 
I, I, uh, I wasn't doing well financially at the time. So I see two $10 bills hanging out this, 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 uh, waitresses, the server's purse. I snagged it. And I'd say about half hour, 45 minutes later, the sushi boss calls everybody in the back kitchen. He's like, we got a thief in the building. He explains to everybody that, uh, this person had her cash stolen. And um, everyone's looking around and including me. I'm like, what? That's crazy. Let's get him. You know, but ultimately it was me. Ultimately yeah. it was me. So were you, were you the loudest voice? Like, yeah, let's find out who this is. Let's get yeah. it, man. Yeah. Knowing it's you. Yeah. <laughs> it was oh, man. crazy, man. So ultimately it was me. Long story short, everybody breaks, you know, if it was like a huddle. So we all went to back. I went back to the sushi bar and the boss was walking upstairs to his office. He's like, I'm going to check the cameras. I was like, I'm screwed. I am screwed. So I put down my sushi knife after I make a beautiful California roll. Here you go. Anything else, please let us know. Put my knife down, walk out the back door and I bounce. I call my connect. Hey, we're going to meet you all for 20 freaking bucks. But I needed to get well. That was, <laughs> that was probably one of my most embarrassing, like, shameful moments of my life so you dipped out man you didn't even you didn't go up to him and be like look i made a mistake here Hell i'm no. gonna own up to it you were like fucking gone gone bro 20 bucks 20 my bucks pocket. that was burning bro i had to get well i had to, i had to eat my food you, <laughs> you know so you're kind of going through that dope sickness a little bit huh yeah yeah as, as the shift went on hours went on you know i i woke up did what little I had and then went to work. Hopefully I get some tips. I didn't get tips. I got 20 bucks. Um, it is bad, all bad. My phone is ringing. Yeah, I just didn't really? answer any calls. Yeah, didn't so answer your any boss calls. was calling you like, dude, where are you at? I my know best friend know. was, yeah, my best friend was, my best friend was. So he, he knew, he asked me too, actually before I left, he's like, you sure didn't do it? I was like, nah, bro. He's going to go check the cameras and we'll find out, you know? So I made sure it was clear at the front desk and, or not the front desk, the sushi bar, excuse myself and went on that night. Just, wow. Yeah. It's crazy. So did he check the cameras and saw you? Yeah. 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 So, um, and I'm just super thankful, man, out of all the dirt I did at multiple jobs, I'm super thankful. I didn't get arrested, although that may have helped me out, but I never got arrested for that, you know? Um, and the sushi restaurant that I'm talking about and the hotel, they're both closed down. And so I'm okay with, with talking about these things, making videos about them. Did you, uh, well, I mean, even if they weren't right, I mean, they can't come back yeah. after you now. Yeah. You know, so like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And plus, you know, water under the bridge, man. Did you ever run into yeah. your, that waitress? No, get, no, no, man. Like I, I, I don't even remember what she looked like. You know, like it was so long ago, and I was so out of my brain, like just out of my mind. I had no idea what she, what she looks like today. Oh wow! So man. yeah, so if she does watch this, I, I'm so sorry. Uh, I have twenty bucks. <laughs> <for you. laughs> yeah, Daniel, sorry. Uh, he'll send yeah. you Venmo. <laughs> anything, well, anything. Yeah. Yep. Oh shoot, man. Okay, so now you walk out the door. Called the dealer, man. It was like, hey, I got 20, you know? Yep. Yep. And then so. you just kept getting, just kept going down that road. Now, yeah. when you didn't have money, you know, 
how did you get drugs when you didn't have the money? Well, I would pawn anything and everything that I could get my hands on. Um, started with my laptop, started with some nice shoes I would have. Uh, I had a vehicle that it was a used car. So I went to one of those, um, I really can't remember the name, but they give you money if you put up your title, you know, and you have a certain amount of time for, for them, for you to pay them back. So I did that and just multiple things like that. Be a lot of stealing, pawning and, um, just taking money from family, basically. Would you ever, I mean, did you ever have a, you know, one of your connections, your drug dealers, you know, give you credit? Sort of speak? Yeah. Oh yeah. Quite a few times. I was pretty loyal to one guy. And, um, so there'd be times where I couldn't, uh, come up with anything. Um, also I didn't have the energy to go out and hustle. Right. Um, so I'd call him and, and I would tell him I was working, even though I wasn't working, you know, there'd be times where I was and there'd be times where I'd be in between jobs, but I would tell him, Hey man, if you could take care of me, you know, give me front me, front me a 20 buck, front me 20 and I will reimburse you the 20 plus another 20, you know? So, so it sounds like a deal, right? So he did that the majority of the time. And, um, so at that time I was thankful, you know, cause that allowed me to get by that allowed me to regroup and find other means to, to, uh, just to get well, man. So you would, so you get this 20 bag. Now it's costing you 40 bucks. Yeah. 40 Instead. bucks in the hole. Yeah. And, and it only lasts you a day, right? Yep. Yep. If that, you know, if, if that. that. If yeah, that. because I mean, you're talking about twenty dollars, one hundred twenty a day. I'm like yeah. twenty bucks. Like that would only last you a few hours. A few hours. Yeah, yeah. So, like within those times, um, I would just be brainstorming. You know, hopefully, I could find some sort of hustle to get the forty bucks back, and all that. You know, just that way I could have it good with with my dealer at the time when I'd go go and see him again. And if I have to get another front, then, you know, we can deal with that there. But, but yeah, he, he, I was pretty loyal to him and, um, but he's seen my, my disease, you know, um, just deteriorate. Like it was all bad. Well, yeah, I couldn't imagine he would be like, Hey, Daniel, uh, I think you're kind of taking this too much at <laughs> two different extreme, right? Yeah. I don't think he'd be cutting you off. You know, he'd yeah. be like, well, you need some more. Yeah. Here you go, buddy. You know, keep coming it's back. Crazy. Keep, come, keep coming back to the candy shop. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. Exactly, man. Yeah, I don't. I don't see being a drug dealer as an ethical business. You know. Not at all. Yeah, I don't Not think there's all. limitations of what they're going to say. Like, nope, too much heroin today, buddy. Yeah, um, come back tomorrow. Yep. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh, not, man. So, was there a time of period that you couldn't pay him? And what would happen if you didn't pay him? Yeah. So there, there would be. Uh, quite a few times um where i couldn't pay him you know when i'd say hey i'll meet you here or you know i'll pay you on this date there would be uh some times where i would be out of options and knowing like i would start getting like mentally exhausted like damn like i'm i don't have any money you know and i'm scrounging for 20 bucks so throughout that time some days i would go to detox and hopefully get into some treatment knowing I still owe him money. Um, 
if I got into a treatment center or a detox, I would give them a call, you know, once I start once after like a week or something, just to keep in communication, like, Hey man, uh, things are getting rough. I'm in detox, you know, I'll, I'll get in touch with you when I get out. So, um, but yeah, man, there, there'd be a lot of times where I would just, um, not necessarily hide, but I would go to detox just due to the fact that, um, there'd be no way, you know, I'd be able to come up with, with some cash for the next day. So a part of me wanted to get better. Part of me wanted to get well. And that was just my desperation right there, you know, getting kicked out of, uh, the condo I was living in at the, at the time with my mom and I couldn't go home because I'd steal money from her. Um, I'd pawn her clothes. She had nice clothes. I'd go sell them. I was so freaking desperate, man. So desperate. One of the worst things I ever did. Um, I found her checkbook. I would forge signatures, her signature, like 60 to 80 bucks a day. Right. And that went on for about a month and I'm just playing it cool. And, and, um, I would wake up and hopefully wouldn't hear her bang on my door, knock on my door, you know? So, you know, as a couple days turned in a couple weeks and little did she know I had that freaking checkbook on me, bro. So I'd wake up, forge a little signature, go cash it out and just enjoy my day. Right. And I'd be super paranoid in the back. But like I said, I was super desperate. I was willing to deal with the consequences later, you know, as long as I got what I needed. I mean, that's and, a super common deal, you know, taking people's, I mean, stealing from parents, right? Because most of the time your parents is going to let you in be like, okay, look, it's safe harbor, right? They're going to be like, okay, yeah. come in here. And again, you're not a bad person, but you've got this demon inside you that needs to be fed. And you're going to do 100%. everything you can to feed that and including stealing from your parents. Um, yeah. My, my kid's mother is a drug addict and she did kind of the same exact thing what you were doing uh, and stealing from parents. They literally had five grand in their bank. That was their life savings. And they're 60 something years old, $5,000. And she went and cleaned them out. I get it. It's, went and cleaned them out, man. For, for because of this disease and you know her drug I don't know what her drug of choice is now you know but at the time it was meth so I can only imagine what she's graduated to now you yeah. know uh, just I, I, I don't know once you're an addict I imagine you're kind of going after anything and everything you can get your hands on just to feed that that sickness didn't care who it was it wasn't going to stop me you know it wasn't yeah. going to stop me if I was walking down the street saw police officers while on the floor i would have found a way to to get that you know throw a rock in the distance when he turns boom pick that up just anything you know i was super desperate and eventually um i ended up paying the price man one day 2011 that's when i caught my case oh yeah what happened what happened 2011. yep let me take a drink for this one <laughs> so <clears throat> I was, I didn't have a job at the time, 2011. Uh, this was, I believe October, 2011. I was hanging out with, I woke up, did what little of dope that I had 
made a few calls, went to go meet up with some friends. They had a little bit, so um, you know, they, they kind of took care of me. We all we you know, we all got high. So we were hanging out one day and we were trying to uh, figure out ways to get cash, right? We're trying to figure out ways to get cash. So one of the guys knew of a couple um, that lived in an apartment complex. They were pretty well off. They're doing good. They lived in an apartment complex and he knew that they weren't there at the time. They were at work. So we pretty much devised a plan to hop in my car and go to this apartment complex. So I, it was my car, obviously, so I was the driver. Um, I parked right in the alley. There was a fence there. I dropped them off in one spot and I pull, you know, just on the alley outside their unit. They go in the apartment complex, take what they can, anything that we can make some money off of. Uh, I get out my my car and I'm grabbing these things, right, that they're, that they're bringing me. No, I'm not even looking at it. Just grabbing it, boom, put it in my car. Grabbing it, put it in my car. Uh, they make it out. I think they were in there. I don't even remember, like, 10 minutes of that. Cleared out what they could. Hopped in my car. And and um, so we needed to get money. We had these things. We knew we could make some cash. We needed money for more dope. I knew I was going to start getting sick as time went on. So we're in my car, turning up the music. They're all talking about, we're just like hyping each other up. I drive to a pawn shop. As soon as I get there, I park on the side of the building, right? Park on the side of the building next to a dumpster. Usually when people go to pawn shops, they just park right in front. They go in, they're in for like a few, like five to 10 minutes if they're pawning something. If not, they're the shopping in there, you know, um, not long, right? So we pull on the side. That looks sketchy as it is. Pull on the side next to a dumpster. And we start getting out. We go to the trunk. And everyone's like filtering through the stuff, throwing what the, what we can't pawn in the dumpster there. So doing that for a few minutes, knowing my luck, little did I know, there was another vehicle there. That vehicle had a, um, a detective there. And he was working on another case. He was in his regular clothes. I didn't even see him. This was on my police report. That's how I found out. So he was in there working on a case, like in his car, doing what he does. He sees us. So um, after I get what I'm going to take inside the pawn shop, everybody hops right back in my car. I take the stuff in the pawn shop. I come out with 200 bucks. That was enough to get us through the day. So we hop in my car and then we leave, you know, end of our story that day. So how so, did you, how did you go? So you were, you got to the pawn shop, you're just mm -hmm. dumping everything in the dumpster, <laughs> but you know, next to the, next to the pawn shop, which probably wasn't the brightest idea, you know, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, I'm going to go to uh, not necessarily the scene of the crime, but the scene where I'm getting the money, I'm just going to throw the rest of the shit in there. You know, maybe go somewhere else next time. Uh, if there's a next time, yeah. you know, <laughs> Seriously. Um, but, you know, uh, but how did, you, how did they come to you and say, Hey, you're going in it's, it's your car. And how did they choose you to go in there and to pawn the shit off? Cause that seems like the most riskiest part of it. Right. 
because yeah. now you're on video camera with all the stolen goods. 100%, man. So I was the only one with an ID. And so I used my ID to, to pawn everything. So we leave, we go get high. That detective still watching us. We, we take off, right? So his curiosity, you know, of course he's going to be curious because people don't do that at pawn shops, man. You just go in, take care of business and leave. So he gets out his vehicle. He walks to the dumpster, starts looking at the dumpster, right? Takes out one of the bags and he starts going through it. He finds an ID. That ID belonged to the house, the, the apartment complex that um, the crime was committed, right? So he, he runs the name. Sometime after we left the apartment complex, the, the owners got home. They made the call. There was already a bolo out, right, for somebody. But the stars aligned for the detectives for law enforcement that day. So that quickly tied everything together. So that detective takes that information. He goes inside, pulls all my paperwork, gets a copy of my ID, all that backend stuff that they do. Fast forward a few days later. Little did I know those three days I was under full surveillance. I had no idea, you know, just living my life. Didn't notice anything sketch around my, my, the neighborhood, right? No, nothing. My house is under surveillance, full surveillance, 24 hours a day. They were just seeing my patterns, seeing if, seeing if that was what I was doing every day, just coming home with stolen goods, right? So one day I leave my house and um, I get in my car and um, shortly before I put my key in the ignition, uh, undercover SUV pulls right behind me, stops. You know, I hear the tire screech and I look, I see a big guy with a AR-15 or M16 looking thing. Um, and I see this other guy come right in front of me, parks right. Tucson police, put your freaking hands up. I didn't see the uh, the police thing on their vest immediately. I thought I thought I was getting robbed, right? So, uh, but they're saying Tucson police. So they said freeze or otherwise you get shot. So that's um, so yeah, they hit me up right there. They let me know what they're there for. That was a super swift takedown from them guys I and mean, props to them dude i'm just so glad i wasn't a knucklehead so glad i didn't reach for anything because that could have ended bad i'm so glad i didn't start the car freaking reverse crunch him in between the car nothing like that like i was scared bro super scared wake up starting to get dope sick here i am getting hemmed up and there goes my day yeah you're getting dope sick man yeah you, you're not finding you're not contacting the dealer anytime soon now mm -mm. you know so yeah. you uh so you get hemmed up and now it's you are really on the hook for these charges man did your other buddies get away or did they end up yeah <clears throat> yeah 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 they got away so yeah. since since i had no rap sheet right i had no rap sheet so they placed me um i go see the judge she sentences me to uh, intensive probation. And that's when the whole probation started. 
on intensive probation, you have a uh, you have a regular probation officer. You also have a surveillance officer. He could come to your house or wherever you're staying at any time of the day. So I have to fill out weekly schedules as to where I'm going to be, you know, through the week. If I have to go to work, if I have to go to the grocery store, if I want to go to the gym, if I want to go to an AA meeting, all of that has to be on my schedule. So the surveillance officer's job is to surprise visit you or at least drive through. And so I kind of lasted on that for uh, about seven or eight months before I started dropping dirty again. And that did they come in, they come in and drop, drop by and they drug test you? Or do they just kind of drop them by to see if you're there? Or is your probation officer the one that tests you for drug testing? Yeah. Um, I had to take, uh, I, I got drug tested like two, twice a week. I think it was two to three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But when the surveillance officer would come to my house, um, he would have a breathalyzer. And so I'd open my door, you know, we talk for a little bit, real cool guy, real cool guy. So, um, he'd breathalyze me and, um, drinking really was my thing at that time. So, um, I passed all those. Right. But he said, just make sure you, um, doing everything right. You know, I was, I was really good about playing the part, playing the program, working it until I got complacent until I got squirrely in the mind. I'm like, okay, everything's cool. That has always been one of my downfalls is complacency and deciding to treat myself. Hey, I've been doing great. Let's, let me go back to what I know feels good. Right. So, um, but yeah, I lasted about seven or eight months on intensive probation. Were you clean for that six or eight months? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you weren't using, I was, I was thinking you're using, I was like, man, how did you, uh, yeah. you're getting drug tested twice a week. How did you, yeah. you know, how'd you trick them? You know? Yes. So that lasted, you know, seven or eight months. And then I started dropping dirty started getting comfortable with the whole the whole thing right started dropping dirty this guy gave me so many chances the probation officer gave me so many chances man so many opportunities um towards the end i knew it would benefit me a little bit more if i um let him know that hey this next drop is going to be dirty you know this next drug test i you know i i would call him just let him know hey this next drop is going to be dirty. Just want to let you know. If there's anything else you need me to do, just let me know. And <laughs> it's insane thinking about that whole time back then, man. I mean, like, it, it's one, it, it kind of goes into your I see a theme with your character right here is you have a conscience. You know what I mean? And it leads me to believe you're a good dude, man. You're a good hearted guy. You know? Yeah. And, you're telling your probation officer that you're popping dirty. I don't know if many people would probably do that. You know, mm -hmm. I think they would probably skirt on the other end of, you know, uh, fuck around to find out, you know, <laughs> have to drug test me to find out, yeah. you know, but you just came straight up and just were telling your probation officer, Hey man, I'm, I'm going to pop man. Like I'll, I'll save you the hassle. You know, yeah. You can give me the talking to, but I already know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if that is due to the fact like how I was raised, you know, kind of be honest, be upfront with people. But I knew if I didn't tell him that would, I don't know if it was like a manipulation type thing. Like I would always think ahead, you know, I would think about the consequences, but never really 
honor the commitment of not doing that right so i don't know what it was i knew like if i did if i told him um that this next drop was going to be dirty you know maybe i could get away with it for at least one or twice you know but if if i surprised him didn't say shit, then that could have um expedited things in like a, a bad manner for me you know so so you really did it for a tactic move not it was really more tactic place, i think then from like, a place I'm, of the heart of like consciousness you're like yeah you know, like shit, i'm about to go to jail <clears throat> let me prolong this yeah 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 so like i'm not gonna front here i think it was more of a tactic of if i do this will the outcome be somewhat in my favor you know could i get away with this at least one or two more days so i'm thinking that's what it was man that was my addicted mind speaking to me like hey this is what we got to do at this point we're screwed already let's see what else we could get away with well fuck daniel you fooled me man i, I was just like man this got to be a place from the heart you know like <laughs> uh, you know because i'm a conscious person you know so like that conscious that yeah. lying really rides me you know if if I ever lie, man, it's really rides me and it haunts me. And I was like, yeah. oh shit, dude, this guy's the same way. But come yeah. find out you're doing it for a tactic move, which, yeah. you know, uh, I could see that as well. I would, I don't know what I would ever do in that situation, you know, but yeah, I could definitely see it. Fuck around and find out. Fuck around no, and find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't fuck around and find no, out because you're going to no, go to no, jail. Yeah. No. yeah <laughs> you know, that. so, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, matter of fact, if you have a tactic, man, shoot it in the freaking uh, comments below, man. What was your tactic to stay out of jail while you're on probation? You know, but exactly. you uh, you were on probation, man. You popped dirty. Um, we're gonna take a break. Okay, sounds good. And the show wouldn't be made possible without our sponsors, Red, White, and Badass Brew, and Go Man Go Productions. Your vision is our mission because we see it too. So you're over here riding dirty and uh, what happens, man? The probation officer gives you chance after chance and what happened so, after the last chance? After one of the last calls, after one of my last calls, letting him know, after one of my last confessions, he's like, okay. Um, he said, just go home and the next morning, just go uh go drop right go do a uva so i'm like okay so i go i meet my my dealer one last time for for a front right he actually fronts me and um so but shortly before i get home i pull over to a car wash smoke the rest of my stuff and i'm thinking like damn man i'm gonna get another chance this guy's really cool so it's looking like if i confess a little bit more you know hopefully things will start going well um i'm sure i'm gonna end up having to talk to him and and you know so i did, really wasn't thinking much so after i leave so i leave the car wash this is like about 6 30 or 7 30 at night i pull uh pull into my parking lot i get out and there is 
uh, undercover. Uh, there's an SUV there, all blacked out. I didn't even see it until the doors opened. It was my surveillance officer and two other surveillance officers there. So their mission was to take me down by any means. As soon as he got out, he's like, "What's up, Daniel? You know what's going on, right?" I'm like, "Shit, here we go." So I get handcuffed, get put on my car. I'm like, look, man, before we take off, mind if I go give my mom a hug? He's like, don't worry about it. She already knows what's up. We talked to her already. I'm like, damn, these guys are good. So I get hemmed up by probation. Have to go see the judge. So I'm in county probably for like a good month, and then I have to go see the judge, right? She blood she grants me the opportunity of six months work release so i get another opportunity there right so work release i have to stay at the jail and i only get to leave to go to work so so i work that out for a little bit right get acquainted i i call one of my ex-bosses he lines me up with a, at a hotel uh within walking distance to the jail from the jail so i do that for a little bit even i forgot how long maybe a few months do that for a little bit so if i got sentenced to six months if i were to complete that everything would have been done my obligations to probation my obligations to the state would have been done that didn't happen i end up calling my dealer one day I'm working 3 p.m. to 11 at this hotel, sketchy hotel near the freeway. I have them start bringing me stuff, right? And eventually I start using again. And after work, I'd be, there'd be days where I would just be super lit, super high going back to the jail. And um, thankfully I got through there okay. But I did that. And while you're at the jail, they hit you with surprise you ways. I wake up. I don't know if someone snitched on me or something, but they hit me with a random UA. I kind of knew what days I would get UA'd, but this one was a surprise. So maybe I was acting kind of funky that night, the night before. Um, so I dropped dirty. And they take me out of the work release side to a different side um and this area was for sentenced inmates who are sentenced to county time so i'm there for like a couple days until they send me to uh maximum security uh we call it the towers here it's like one big tower pima county jail so i'm in there for a little bit and i have to go see the judge the same freaking judge that i saw two times before and she tells me, ultimately she says, you know, I granted you with multiple opportunities. Sure, you were honest with your probation, but your probation was revoked. You leave me no choice but to sentence you to two years in the Arizona Department of Corrections. And as soon as she said that, like I knew I was screwed, right? I knew I was out of chances. I look at my mom, she puts her head down, she's crying. I have a couple of aunts there, so they were kind of consoling her. And I, I just said thank you to the judge, right? I said thank you. And uh, 
and that was that man so I go back to, to the towers and there for a few weeks until I get sent to uh, classification prison so you went through this I mean chance after chance after chance man and the, that's what drugs do you man they just take a hold of you you know what I mean but you're essentially clean you know because you went through the detox right you went through fighting that dope sickness and it got clean two months six months mm -hmm. you were clean you know what led you just kind of go back into it what led you to kind of call that your dealer man and be like hey hit me with a quick 20. <laughs> man I, I thought about that a few times but <clears throat> the conclusion that i come that i come to is uh, i wasn't ready you know eventually i was at at the end of the day man i just wasn't ready you know i don't know if it was the compl complacency had something to do with it but i just don't think i was ready yeah, being um, in jail wasn't your rock bottom yet yeah it definitely was my rock wasn't. bottom so then you so you had a chance man done you know the judge your probation officer done you're going to maximum or not is it maximum security prison at that point um so in county jail that was maximum security um as soon as they took me from county to classification in phoenix that was uh maximum security uh we only got to come out to eat um so i was there for about a week until they sent me to uh to prison and i was on a minimum security yard since i since um i really didn't have a uh, a violent crime i didn't have a severe like a huge rap sheet my first time in so they take that into consideration and i'm, I'm thankful that was in the case because politics time were... are crazy <laughs> oh yeah. that maximum security prison was that a scary moment for you uh in in jail maximum security i prefer that type of environment uh for for many reasons like because out here on the west coast yeah you're in cali so i'm not sure if you've heard but politics are at an all-time high and um that's just how it is on the west coast i'm in arizona so we have similar similar if not the same politics um out there on the east coast it's it's really like survival of the fittest out there it's really one man for for himself everyone gets to eat together from from what i've heard at different jails different prisons but out here on the west it's like that for a reason it's for uh accountability and um the prison guards the ceos their job is to look after the inmates you know the the prison just to get through the shift keep their partner safe our job as inmates is to keep our particular race um together right keep everybody accountable for their actions so in county in maximum that was when i got my first taste of that and i prefer that type of environment because i've been when i was uh like on the work release side it's a huge dorm nothing but bunk beds you got hundreds of guys it's just loud bunch of nonsense going on so for me the type of person i am I, if I have, if I have a, a good Sally, right. If I have a good bunkie, um, just if I have a real good rapport with this person, I prefer that type of environment just because it's ultimately him that I have to worry about. Right. 
And if, if you really, if you guys end up clicking, like you don't even have to worry about this guy. So it's just a, a preference for me, I think. Just so on the on West Coast, you're segregated by race. Yeah. And on the East Coast, you're really just, it's a free for all. Like, so there's, there's not the racial card being played there, right? Yeah. Yeah. From, I haven't been to jail out there, but from people I've spoken to, um they have like little gangs so i think they they're segregated kind of by by their gangs like by their street gangs so you might have like multiple different races in one gang in one click so that's kind of how they they do their stuff out there but yeah so you and i we would be in two different um two different cars right they they call it cars prison gangs i guess oh so yeah in in prison they call it cars yeah cars mm. so you would be in the the mexican car yeah yeah chicano car. The, the, oh they call it chicano yeah chicano mexican american yeah so if you're if i'm mexican i was born here in the states so um they call them chicanos uh the mexican nationals uh they call them pices out there um and that's that's how it is it's kind of weird i mean we're all mexican but they're they're different different cars <laughs> they're different entities yeah that's, so, that is interesting and then yeah i would be in the i guess there's only one white right white car <laughs> <laughs> you'd be yep, you'd be a solid ass caucasian right there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you'd be in the, in the wood pile they call oh, the wood woods. they call them woods yeah yeah no it's that's uh it's sort of interesting yeah because that's what i had a person on the show who also been incarcerated and he called it woods which that's yeah. fascinating why would they call them woods why do you know why I really don't know the the whole history um, behind that. Um, I don't know if it has to do with, I don't know. I don't even want to guess, you know what I mean? I I don't want to insult anybody and I don't want to give up their game, but I honestly don't know what, where, where that name originated from. Gotcha. No, I I find that very, very intriguing. And I didn't know anything about the West or the East coast side of it. Yeah. That's even more intriguing. Now it's just like, wow, okay. Well, I find I, I figured it would just kind of be like across America. Like this is how prisons run. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's, just, that's part of the show, man. You learn something new. Man, the journey, yeah. So you're in prison, man. So you're navigating the politics and you prefer the maximum, maximum security because you're more isolated. You're with a bunkie, you know, or a celly. Mm-hmm. And the minimum security, that's where it's just more open, open, uh, storm style living yeah yeah um at the 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 prison i was at man here's some 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 karma right the biggest the biggest case of karma i've ever seen and i've ever experienced the majority of my life i've worked in hotels once i pulled up to uh the the prison i immediately noticed um i was familiar with with the appearance of it so the prison that I get sent to is a uh, old hotel that has been converted into a prison. So here I am, multiple years, stealing money from different hotels, right? Eventually, fast forward some time, I get sentenced to prison inside a hotel. That's insane, bro. But that's, hey, that's that my luck. Dude, that's, that is funny, man. Ugh. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Motel, hotel, holiday inn. <laughs> yeah. You were exactly. in it, man. <laughs> That's it, man. You know, God, it was I, crazy. I guess the the saying's true, man. Uh, Motel Six, they always leave the light on for you. Hundred percent, bro. Hundred percent. That's they crazy. Do. That's crazy. They as fuck. They that honor you. their word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I couldn't even fucking imagine rolling up, being like, "Oh shit, I used to work here. Yeah. <laughs> now I where, live here." Where, <laughs> where's the front desk? You know, where's the hotel? Or where's oh, the housekeeping? Man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's crazy, shit. bro. Yeah, but I'm not taking anybody's bags this time. Nope. That's nuts, nope. dude. So you went yeah. to this. So you went to the. Were you? Was there a time in prison you were scared, like of your cellmate, or like, you know, or something that that nature? Like, was there like, or something that somebody did that was just so, you know, crazy that you were like, oh shit, like how do I'm? Just, yeah, I'm just a drug addict, man. How do I get bunked up with right. this guy? Right. No, I'm just here to do my time. That's all. Um. <clears throat> were like in in the so the hotel room that i was in right it was an actual hotel room there were four bunks in there thankfully all of my different all of my cellies um it was me and three other people thankfully all them guys were cool you know i had nothing to worry about like in my specific unit but i've seen just some crazy stuff go on it wasn't the most violent prison it, it thankfully right there were no riots that kicked off nothing like that it was a it was an overall pleasant experience um, being there, but I've seen multiple fights. You know, there's always blind spots in prison. There's always blind spots in, in county. So if two people wanted to fight, square up, if they had an issue, right, there's two options. You could either go scrap it out, which means fight, or um, arrange to get some steel in your hand and, and uh, just you know, fight it out that way until the until the very end. But there there'd be uh there'd be some random times. I'm just walking around the yard with some coffee in my hand, you know, after workout or after chow. And I would just see two dudes in the laundry room just fighting it out, man. Fighting it out. Just scrapping. First time I seen that, you know, I kinda wanted to stay and watch because I I wrestled back in the day and I just wanted to critique their see what kind of skills they have, right? See what kind of hands they got. But that's a no-no. Do not do that. If you're in county, if you're in prison, if you're walking, you see some people fight, you just keep walking. Just look once and then just keep walking. Because that's that's a if I were to stay and watch that, that's a form of dry snitching. So if if I just stay there and watch, that basically will alert the other CEOs, hey, something's going on here, you know? And so if a CEO were to approach the situation while I'm there, they would know that they they would think um i have something to do with it or it's just a bad look it's just something you just got to keep it moving it's none of my business not my issue that has nothing to do with me or, or my boys i just got to keep it moving let them do the thing you know just be thankful for that glimpse i got to see for the couple punches i saw but how do you get to see a couple book? fights i mean we're the rule book in this you know oh, like the, like like you get in and you know the uh the ceo hands you a rule book like hey here's your 52 pager <laughs> like I, I don't imagine that's happening right you yeah know? yeah like, how do you how do you figure out that like somebody just takes you underneath their wing and be like all right all exactly. right youngster this is your so first you time i'm are. a seasoned veteran in uh prison politics 
I'm going to yeah. teach you. As soon as you hit that yard, man, one of your people comes up and and uh, they confirm if what what race you're rocking with, right? So um, as soon as they get through all that, they they lace you up. One of the guys, you know, you got to show them your your paperwork. They run, they lace you down, man. They um, they give you some food. Make sure you here's some envelopes. Write your people. They 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 tell you how it's going to be, right? And they say if you venture out of this. There's going to be an issue for you. So you get laced up immediately. Your first day there, they uh, they let you know how it's going to go. But did they give you these items with the expectation of you're going to give me something in return? Like they give they, you envelopes and food? Because I, ima- I mean, you know, I imagine it's not a buffet where you can just go yeah. and get food whenever you want, right? Yeah, they, they, they said um, as soon as they took care of me, they're like, hey, don't worry about paying us back. If you see someone else new come in, you know, just, just go talk to them, you know, be a homie and, and, uh, see if they need anything, you know? So if I had store, you know, the, the nice thing to do would, you know, make sure they have everything they need. If they need anything, you know, hook them up with the envelope or something like that. Just take care of your own people in there. So that's one of the, the bright sides of the, the politics there, you know, no man gets left behind. I know this is the military, but prison, it's, it's its own community, man. And you are there for your people. You know, the main mission is to get out and go home. But if something pops off, bro, you better be, you better lace up and you better hit that yard and, and, and start getting down. Otherwise, if you sit out for some reason, if you're taking a nap on the bunk and a riot kicks off, you're going to get dealt with quick. No shit. So if night. you don't partake in the riot, mm-hmm. and when you mean by laced up, you mean by like getting taken care of, getting beat up or hurt, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, um, lace up. Um, yeah, they, they pretty much take care of you. You know, they give you everything you need. Um, I think I use laced up in two different ways here. So also if something pops off, you better lace up your boots cause they give you actual boots for, for your work jobs. So you better throw them boots on or your, your new balance. I had some new balances in there, some nice, fresh new balances. Um, you better throw some shoes on that basically means put your shoes on, put your game face on and, and, Go, uh, go enjoy the party, you know? Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. no, it gets real, man. It gets real. Oh, I can only imagine, man. Yeah. So I, that uh, was, that was something I thought about every day. I was like, God, man, I just hope I don't deal with any of this. You know, the yard I was at, you had to have five years or less. So it was basically a going home yard. So everybody knew they kind of, it wasn't the most political place, but you still had to be on on your game there, right? Because you'd have other inmates coming from different yards. As soon as their points, like their security threat, their points, as soon as that lowered, uh, they would get to go to a lower yard. So they'd be coming from like a level five, level four, level three. The yard I was at was a level two. So basically minimum security. We'd have guys coming from the higher yards um, trying to run the that yard like a, a super political type place, so it'd be kind of some situations like that. Um, Would that person come up from a higher security level get dealt with? Be like, no, this is not how this is run. No. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a couple times that happened. There was also um, times where they specifically sent this individual to um, to dethrone 
the current uh, prison head for my race there, you know? So there, there's, there's big shot callers um, in prison, you know, on different yards, but they still control, they still call the shots at all the yards. Um, so there'd be, there'd be uh, some situations like that where people had to get dethroned for, for not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, did you know who your shot caller was? Did you, yeah. did you know who your your person overseeing your prison yard was? Yeah, yeah, I had a little run in with him too because when I was at that yard, or when I was in prison, um, I was working out consistently. I was always there trying to come up with new workouts, doing some crazy like CrossFit hit training workouts, like back to back workouts. Yeah. So my celly. Um, he uh he was a white boy right and um we'd be writing different workouts together and so like i knew this was a no-no but i still did it anyway eventually i start working out with him he's a white boy a mexican nobody's doing that on this yard nobody does that in prison out here on the west coast that is so <laughs> I work out with him a few times and one day, one morning, as soon as the yard opened, it was at five o'clock and like around 5.30 or so, I see the head of my race just at the other end of the basketball court because I was working out in the basketball court with my celly. He's just standing there like this, just watching me. I'm like, oh shit, here we go, dude. You know, thought I could get away with this. So. I talked to my celly. I'm like, look, man, uh, I got eyes on me right now. So I'm gonna have to call this workout. And uh, he didn't say anything. He, he knew what time it was. So I stopped my workout, walk around the basketball court and, um, and walk up to the head of my race. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> so just working out, man. And he's like, with, with, with white boy. I'm like, yeah, man. I was like, nobody here is, doing these types of workouts, right? So the reason why that's a no-no is because the way they see it is I'm strengthening another race. I'm making another race stronger. So that's a no-no for for any, any uh, race in there, right? You can't assist another race with being stronger, you know? Just by me working out with him is kind of making him stronger. So if things popped off, you know, um, it, it would just be a bad situation. Like say, for example, my celly ends up knocking out one of our people and it's just a no, no man. Like you can't, well, they don't know what side race. you're going to go on. They don't know if you're going to protect that guy or protect your race. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're a wild card. Yeah. You know, so they just want to eliminate the wild card. Imagine and be like, well, yep. we don't know if we can trust this guy. Yep. Get him out of yep. here. Yep. So ultimately I talked to this guy. He's he uh I saw right through him though. You know, I had a nice little pump going on. He was an older guy. He was uh, just a dirt bag, just a dirt bag man. He was like doing dope and all that, just doing bad stuff. Doing bad stuff on the back end. Like he wasn't fulfilling his obligations as a uh um a prison head, right? Because he had communication with the the 
the main main guy that oversaw all the different complexes on the yard so i saw right through this guy and i didn't back down i didn't raise my voice and so i tell him yeah i'm working out with him nobody here not even our homies are doing these type of workouts man i'm just working out and uh, he's like you know i could get you smashed with this right and i compose myself i look at him in the eye i'm like can you smash me and he just stayed quiet he did not expect that at all and i just kept it walking you know i walked a few more laps and then went inside my room kind of felt good like confidently like yeah i got him but i was freaking out inside i was like oh <laughs> shit he's gonna send some guys in me i am gonna get mopped i'm gonna get my ass whooped get jumped so i was scared for a few days but i don't think he told anybody about that situation because he was supposed to handle that right there you know he was supposed to basically beat my ass at that point for me talking back to him but i don't think he he told anybody about that situation not make so, it look weaker yeah 100 percent. i was ready yeah. man i yeah. i was about to suplex him dude like i was about to give him his first wrestling lesson you know? oh shit! <laughs> yeah i was ready man but inside you know i was kind of i had some fear in me but that just came out you know i didn't like being talked down to i knew my intentions were good i just wanted to work out but as time went on i i i knew what i was doing was bad you know what are you doing drugs in prison too during this whole no. time no you were no, clean. yeah You're, so you really went for two years clean yeah yeah or did you serve the maximum time actually no yeah i had to do with my back time and the time of probation out here in arizona you only have to do uh 85 of that time so i only had to serve 12 months thankfully but within the 12 months um i didn't use thankfully and it, it would have been super easy to do dope in there because it's everywhere super easy at any time of the day there's multiple ways dope comes in the jail the prison um but I just didn't touch it. It didn't even cross my mind. Really? That's, so, I mean, because yeah. that's not normal. I mean, most people are probably using drugs if they're drug addicts in jail, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that going on. You know, that's mind boggling to me is like people who just how much drugs get into our jail, you know, and, but it's runs rampant, you know, yep. so you do your time, man, and you get out. What does that look like when you get out? Yeah, so I, as soon as I got out, I had six six months of parole ahead of me. I did everything I was supposed to do. I was fine. I knew I didn't want to go back to prison. Getting high at that time for the six months didn't even cross my mind. My main job was to get back on my feet, get a job, and just start my life. But I'd say about a year, year and a half after parole, I end up getting high again, calling the same dealer. Just when things are going great, just when I have a bank account full of money, just when I got a car, just when my mom has a smile on her face because she sees her only child doing great. She sees her only child got through all of that mess, all that's behind him, hopefully. No, I wasn't done. I mean, what'd your drug dealer say? Like, man, I'm glad you called because your frequent flyer miles were about to expire. Like, like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. Like, it's crazy, man. So what made you relapse? 
Honestly, man, I don't even know. I was with uh, hanging out with an old friend of mine that I used to get high with. I don't know why I went to go hang out with him. I didn't have a lot of... Actually, I didn't have any recovery under my belt at that time. So I didn't have any resources. You know, I didn't know there's things I could do. So I honestly don't know, man. I just went to go hang out with this guy. We went to a park um, just to talk because he knew I was locked down for a while. And so we we're just catching up. And at that time, he... uh I think he was still using. He didn't bring it up because he knew how solid I was at the time. But it was me that brought that up. I was like, hey, how you doing? Are you still clean? And, and uh, he, I don't remember how that conversation went, but I do know we both hopped in my car and we went to go get high. And that set off, uh, that set off a, a pretty freaking pretty wild cycle of uh, addiction. You know, I picked up right where I left off, basically. Well, did but, you go back to jail? Did you end up stealing more from other people and everything else that you did before? Um, Let's see. No, no, no. Like at that time, let's see. Yeah, I didn't really do any, any crazy stuff, man. Like I was still working. Um, other actually now to come to think about it i was working at a hotel my boss at the time he he uh he's a family friend so once i got comfortable there like <laughs> there'd be time like after i'd be getting high for a while right i uh my money you know would start to run dry so i was working the morning shift uh at that hotel i liked working the morning shift um so as my my addiction progressed i'd be hoping for guests to check out paying cash <laughs> i'd be praying because i had no idea how to get some money you know so for guests that would check out say for example they were there for a few days a week or whatever they'd pay like 200 300 bucks instead of dropping that in the 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 safe in the back you know the deposit box i would take an envelope i'd write a sticky note i'm like hey this is um, I put rule reimburse next payday. So I'd write the total amount of the cash I'm taking, which is everything. So, and then I put the date, my initials, I'll try and make it official. You know what I mean? As professional as I could, <laughs> but I, I would pretty much, it's kind of like an IOU, you know, Hey, <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of this and, uh, I'll take care of this next payday. So that went on. You know that went on. That was probably the most, the extent of my dirt at that time. Your your and your manager was okay with that. He was okay it's with like, it. It's like okay, Daniel. As long as you just, I'll take any next check. Yeah, we didn't have any conversations about it. His his father, um, his father was an opiate addict, so he he gotcha. He sympathized. He understood. He he got it right. But as long as I didn't make his job harder, as far as like not paying it back at all, then he didn't have an issue with it because I was such a good employee. Like I was a really good employee. He had, he didn't have to worry about the hotel while I was there. Cause I took care of the guests. I went above and beyond for these guests. Um, I was really good at, at uh, as a front desk agent and 
I would agree. So he you, didn't, took their, he, you took their money? I mean, that's... Yeah, I was solid. <laughs> I, I went above and beyond, you know? It's crazy. I mean, I, I commend you for it. I mean, because <laughs> I don't think most people would even... And again, I, I don't think most people would write us a, a note and say, hey, I got you. Yeah. I mean, drug addicts, gonna be, they're going to be like, nope, I'm going to take it and no one ride this bus until the wheels fall off of it or get yep. fired. And it's crazy. You know, that's, that's nuts, man. So it is. And you... You know, you find comfort in motels <laughs> from the prison to working, you know? Yeah. Like I, I, the, I was in my environment, man, for sure. Yeah. This, the karma, the segue is just, is <sighs> kind of crazy that way. So what made you get clean, man? Where did you find your rock bottom? Man. Um, <clears throat> so I got out of prison 2014, went on a few runs or went on a, uh, a relapse, right? A pretty crazy relapse. Did that for a few years. In and out of detox, just trying to get clean, trying to get well, trying to get... Like, in my mind, I wanted to get clean, but I couldn't... At the times I tried, it just wouldn't work out, you know? So I'd go to detox, and then at that detox, if the any rooms available at any other treatment centers they would get you in there so at the times i went uh there'd be no rooms like nothing available at treatment centers um until one day man 20 uh 2018 i gave it another shot man and um there was a rehab uh, a bed that opened up at a rehab and to be at rehab at this particular rehab you can't be in withdrawal you can't be detoxing which I was, right? I was only in detox for like 24 hours at that time. A bed opens up. I tell them, hey, get me in there. I don't care. So I, the last rehab I was at, you know, I, I detoxed myself without any comfort meds, like no Tylenol, nothing like that. Nothing to help me sleep. And I really wanted to give this a shot. You know, I was so tired, man. I, it got to the point where I was hoping not to wake up in the morning just because I didn't want to face being sick again. I was just tired, exhausted of that whole grind of the line, the manipulation, all of that, right? I knew I couldn't have still went on, but I didn't have it in me, man. So everything just started to align uh, in my life, you know, mentally and I decided to give myself a chance, man. And what I mean by that is I started applying myself. Once I got into rehab, I detoxed for a week. But that first night, I made it a point to make myself, to kick my own ass, to do 100 push-ups every night, which I did. Even though I'm sick, I'd take a break, still take a break during the push-ups. I'd still be withdrawn. So I'd go throw up, gag, because that's one of the withdrawals. It, was, it wasn't because I was like, it wasn't something I ate, nothing like that. That was just part of the withdrawal. So I made myself to do 100 push-ups every night. And I did. Um, I was in treatment there for four months. And super blessed, man. I've been clean ever since. Wow. It's crazy. Wow, you just... Yeah. Just really your own mind just set off. It was like, I'm done. Yeah. I got to stop this bullshit. And yeah. that was your rock bottom. You know, uh, I mean, you probably saw where the road was going to go. I mean, you were already going down this path of kind of 
mentally done with life, so to speak. You know, when you're not wanting to wake up anymore, you're like depression. I mean, of course, that's, you know, one of the things that addicts, you know, have is depression. But you were, I don't know if you would say suicidal, but you were ready just life to end, to struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have minded if I did not wake up, you know. I've, of course, like when you're, in that de- level of desperation, the thought of suicide crosses your mind, but I didn't have it in me. You know, I didn't want to go out like that as desperate as I, I was. I didn't have it in me. You know, I'm, I was too scared to, to even go that route. But man, when I was in treatment, we'd go to outside meetings, like AA meetings. They would take us there to a meeting that was just down the street. So it'd be a Alcoholics Anonymous meeting We'd also go to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. There I got to meet uh, in AA, one of the meetings, I got to uh, meet my sponsor. So working with my sponsor, just expressing everything to this guy. He was an old black guy. He was in the Korean War, this OG from Chicago. But somehow he understood my stories. You know, I was trying to work with this other sponsor before him. He was an alcoholic. He really didn't understand why I was doing what I did you know he really only understood alcohol which is fine you know I mean that's that's his story but working with my sponsor man um everything I was doing at the time working out eating good helping other people in rehab um just by talking to them everything I was doing I was benefiting from and I just, something in my brain just switched, man. And here I am today, man. <laughs> so I, how it's, it's really hard to explain that. How long have you been sober? Uh, let's see, four months, four, four years and six months. Four years, six, dude, that's amazing, man. Yeah. I mean, just, now you've hit that, that threshold um, of, you know, you're not, you're not six months out. You're not a year out. You're not two. You're, you're hitting almost five years, man. That's a huge mark. That's yeah. a huge feat, you know? And I mean, you're still putting in the work. You know, you're still going to AA and NA meetings. You know, I mean, what would you say to somebody who it was in your position of being an opiate addict? You know, what would you tell them? What what advice would you give them? Man. What worked for me is giving myself a chance, you know? I know how it is that mind frame to where the only thing that could touch what you're doing is your drug of choice, is your drink. I know how it is, you become on autopilot. You wake up, boom, grab your keys and you hit the road because you gotta get well, right? You gotta, I know what comes with all that. So the, the best advice that I could give is just to give yourself a chance. If you could get to that point, give yourself a chance. Uh, I don't know what that looks like for everybody, but for me, that took just going to detox and trying to get into treatment because who knows what could happen. Maybe something in your mind could change. Maybe somebody you could talk to could change the rest of your life. Maybe a story that you get out, maybe the multiple times of stories you get out, something there could could, you could wake up one day with a whole different mind frame and and um, 
just give yourself a chance man even if you're not in addiction you know if, you, if you're experiencing depression you know uh, your life's not over all you have control of is today there's no sense on dwelling in the past we're not going back there we can't right we're only going forward so just give yourself a chance man so stand by give yourself breaking that cycle because that's what detox or that's what uh, rehab is is breaking the cycle right yeah. getting you away from it give yourself a chance to have a chance you know give yourself the opportunity to at least be better you know i try and be better every day you know i don't go to as many aa meetings as as i used to when i did my first year but working with different people behind the scenes you know on youtube uh facebook groups um some people locally just me reaching out um the feeling i get from that you know just sit down talking to people and seeing how i could help them not financially but just sitting there as a human one human to another human you know i've seen that dark side i i i've experienced that man and so just being able to keep myself open um i started noticing the more i did that the more beautiful blessings i started to experience small blessings huge blessings opportunities opportunities to network um it's unexplainable man sounds like to me that helping people out is a way better high than the opiate oh yeah it lasts longer too <laughs> yeah and it's something that you yeah. can keep giving without guilt and you don't yeah. have to go rob people for it it's genuine you know man. you're giving something back that's amazing you know yep. that really that really is you know would you would you probably tell somebody like hey because you went back and you visited that one friend even though he didn't really bring it up but that that element of there saying hmm i know this guy uses you know i know i can get some right now would you would you possibly tell people like hey you've got to break that cycle you got to break those friends off you got to leave that group yeah, man. Um, in AA, NA, they, they talk about people, places, and things. When you're getting clean, when you're getting sober, you have to change the people you're hanging with, the places you're going to, and the things you're doing. People, places, and things. You have to change all that. I had to start over at age 39. I'm 42 right now. I had to start my life over at 39. One of the biggest things I'm dealing with today is knowing I had to restart my life over at 39 all because of my decision making so i had to as soon as i left treatment it was like i'm reborn again here i am you know four years in i'm still kind of learning how to live again things are starting to fall into place i have my own business so that's a whole nother that allows me to keep my day full working for myself allows me to share my message and just changing everything give your whole life an old change a tweak whatever you know everything has to be changed man i used to think my city was the problem i did so much dirt in the city bro up here is the problem you know that's it you know change man simple changes can go a long way 
You know, what resources yeah. would you tell people to go seek out if they were wanting to get help? Man, they're they're the resources out there, you know. Um depending on what they're doing. If you can, you know, I'd recommend detox because while you're there, there's different people there that they have a, a peer support specialist there. So they're there to check on you. They are there to see what you want to do after detox. If you need um, some psych meds, if you need anything behavioral health wise, if you, if you just want to know some meetings, you know, you can do so much at detox. It's kind of like a headquarters. It's like the, it's like, man, it's, it's the initial place that I had to go to learn what resources are available to me. Um, if not detox, there's also behavioral health centers out there. Here in Tucson, we have one called Hope. Um, there's one called Hope. There's Cope. There's La Frontera. There's so many. I, I know all these resources, especially in Tucson. Um, but the, the resources are out there. And there's different centers for different things. So if you're if you're looking for more medical stuff, um, like mental health stuff, I mean, you know, you could go to those places. If you're looking for housing, those treatment centers are there. Uh, state funded rehab, state funded insurance, and everything is out there. All that I couldn't do if I didn't give myself a chance. That's awesome, Daniel. You, my friend are a badass you went down a road of drug drug addictive life and went to prison you were destined to stay a drug addict but you gave yourself a chance you changed what you wanted to do because you wanted to change you did it for yourself you didn't do it for anybody else you did it for yourself Daniel, you are a badass, my friend. You're a badass for not only kicking the demons inside your ass, but overcoming this opiate addiction, which is one of the hardest addictions to overcome. You're a badass, yes, my friend. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Appreciate thank you for you. telling your story, man, being vulnerable. I know that's not easy. I appreciate the opportunity, man. Just revisiting these things is is the fuel I needed for today. You know, I'll deal with tomorrow if I get blessed with the opportunity. But today, you know, I thank you for for the opportunity. This is awesome. Thank you, man. So you got a business, man. Uh, so you beat drug addiction. You started this business. What business is it, man? Yeah. So when I got out of rehab. I will always flip stuff on the side, like stuff I would find in yard sales. Um, anything I could find, you know, yard sale, Goodwill. I, I'd flip anything and everything. Um, not to get high, but just to make profit on, you know, it, it was a great hustle. Um, shortly after treatment, I got a job as a life coach, did that for a year and a half. So I was working in a rehab with addicts, but I'd always have that hustle on the side. And so, once I left my job as a life coach, um, I decided to go full force in my reselling business. 
So I transitioned from selling anything and everything, like printers, TVs, anything, watches, whatever. I thought to myself, what do I have access to? What is in my city? What is in abundance that I could make a profit on and get any time of the day? And that's clothing. You know, clothing is out there. People need it. You can't go to work without it. You can't go outside without it. So, so from there, I was like, okay, clothing. In order to scale my business, in order to get whatever I want out of business, I knew I had to stick with clothing. So I started researching different brands, um, <clears throat> certain items that I can make the most profit on. And so I would keep buying these items and I was able to sculpt uh, a pretty solid business reselling clothing on eBay. I'd buy a shirt, buy a pair of pants for a dollar and flip it for like 20 or 30 bucks. Keep doing that over and over again. My phone is ringing off the charts every day with cha-ching, 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 making sales on eBay. So I'm just super blessed, man. Just I was able to turn me quitting a job, a beautiful job as a life coach, turn that into a hustle. And that side chick turned into my mate, my main chick. You know what I mean? So it's a beautiful, beautiful blessing. It feels like a glitch in the matrix, man. Cause who would have thought I could sell a shirt? Not this one. I could sell, I could get this hat for like 50 cents. Shout out the U of A, right? I can buy that hat 50 cents, flip it on eBay for like 20 bucks. Do that over and over, man. You got yourself a pretty little penny there, man. Wow, dude. It's crazy. That's freaking awesome, man. That's, that's a mm -hmm. legit business, man. So where yep. do they find you at on eBay? What's your handle? Flippin 520. F-L-I-P-P-I-N 520. Flippin 520. Dude, that's fucking awesome, man. Yep. That's awesome. All right, go check him out. Flippin 520. You know, go support him. I'm sure he's got some cool digs on there. Uh, I'm going to go check him out. I'm going to get a shirt. You know, we're a badass at, man. Let's do it. Sweet. So you did this. Um, and also... You have a YouTube channel, right? Oh, yeah. 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 So they can find you on YouTube. And what do you do on YouTube? Yeah, man. Um, I I started my channel last year sometime. I think like last November. Uh, I, I would always, since I was pretty busy trying to establish my business, I would always try and stay involved in recovery somehow. So I'd watch like different recovery channels. Um, and hear different stories because I still need to hear these stories. I don't have this addiction thing figured out. I'm not cured. If I go get high, if I go drink one more time, life is done for me, dude. You know, I might as well say goodbye to everything. So I need to hear these stories. And so the more and more I listen to these stories, the more I wanted to share my story because I know I could, I know for one, it makes me feel good. For two, I know somebody out there could relate to what I'm talking about. And I decided to just turn on um, my camera one day, hit record, recorded my first video. It was the worst video I ever did. Worst three minutes of my life, dude. It was so embarrassing just watching that freaking thing right now. But I left that there for motivation, man. Everything I go through in life, I try and use as motivation, man. So 
in order to not record videos like that again, you know, I had to come out, come at it with a different approach, just keep doing it over and over. Sharp sharing, sharing my story. I've done a lot of networking, uh, like behind the scenes with different YouTubers. So that's where I'm at, man. The Righteous Monkey. And I named it Righteous Monkey. That's the name of my channel. I named it Righteous Monkey because a monkey, it's a beautiful animal to begin with, right? But it's correlated like in a negative manner in regards to addiction. People always say, man, I got this monkey in my back. I can't shake it, right? The monkey is always looked at as a freaking dirtbag. The monkey is not a dirtbag, though. The monkey is a beautiful, beautiful creature. So I took... I took the monkey and then I wanted to be, I wanted this monkey to have a new outlook, right? Like a new, I wanted to shake the stigma of the monkey on my back. So I turned that monkey on my back into the righteous monkey. And that's where I am today. My Chinese Zodiac symbol is the monkey. So it's all working out, man. Um, so that's how I came up with righteous monkey, man. Like I wanted to be the righteous monkey, you know? Dude, that's a badass yeah. story, man. I love yeah. it, man. So go check him out. Righteous Monkey. He's still helping people, you know, with recovery through his uh, videos. Go check him out. Hit a like and subscribe, man. Really, really help this guy out. You know, if you're uh, dealing with uh, drug addiction, there's a resource out there. Use your phone. Talk to somebody. If you don't know where to go, go to an AA, go to NA meeting. Because I guarantee you, they will know where to get you and they will help you out. There are resources out there. Whatever city you're in, whatever state you're in, there's resources out there. Go find those resources. Go find a meeting. You will find people who are willing to take you underneath their wing and to get you where you need to go. Let's get help. Let's get you off the drugs. Thank you for watching the show. And thank you for listening to Daniel's story. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. Share it. Comment on it. Let us know what you think. And if you uh, have a heroic story, let us know. And uh, we'll get you on here because we want to know about your journey. So thank you for everybody for listening. Coffee, conversations, and badasses. Until next time. If you have a heroic story and you'd like to share it, Get in contact with us. Our information's in the bio. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and share. And then I'll see you on the next episode, badasses.